Lord. It's good to be with you here this morning, and uh, still looking for some folks to straggle in here, thinking that uh, they forgot to set their time ahead. And uh, I will, as your uh, the person who was up here earlier shared, uh, I will point, and I'll just when I rub my nose like this, then you just start laughing, okay, and turn around and stare, <laughs> and we'll know when those folks come in. Uh, again, I really appreciate your uh, appreciate just the spirit of the worship here. It's wonderful. I was sharing with uh, with John a little bit earlier. Pastor John, that uh, was a very wonderful song that you started your worship service with. Uh, We had a son go to be with the Lord. We had the privilege of having him for 28 uh, years, four days, 16 hours, and 13 minutes. He passed away on September uh, 23rd of this uh, past year, so it's been less than a half a year. And uh, so some of the stuff is still fresh with that. But the very last song he sang was the very first song that we sang this morning. Uh, sang it the day before he passed away. He loved the Lord. He was a youth pastor and uh, had a deep and passionate interest in serving the Lord. And we've seen wonderful acts of grace of the Lord through uh, his life and, and through the ministry of the church, which has been wonderful. As Pastor John, isn't, don't you have a great pastor? Isn't he a good guy? Yeah. He's the best thing since sliced bread, cruise control, and disposable diapers. I'll tell you. He's a good man. And you know, uh, you always want to be the person. You always want to be the person that, uh, that people look up to. Hopefully that's your desire is to live a holy life because uh, people want to, well, are drawn to those who live a holy life. They're just drawn that way. Sinners were drawn to Jesus. And we want to be somebody that attracts people that actually draws people that uh, have needs in their life and, and they see that we have something. You know, it's fascinating. A little exercise I used to do uh, in the years I was pastoring with, uh, with college-age people. I'd give them a piece of paper and I'd say, write down all the qualities you would like in a spouse. And, you know, they write down the typical stuff. They need to be very intelligent, uh, witty, uh, charming, you know, handsome or beautiful, whatever applies in that one. And uh, they go down and say, you know, gregarious, a good sense of humor, all the things that they put down, deeply spiritual, godly person or whatever. And I have them uh, write that whole list down. And then I ask them one simple question. I say, why? Now ask yourself this question. Why on earth would that person want to marry you? And I mean, it's a serious question. Because we sh- people always want to marry up, don't they? That's, I've never seen anybody put a down set of, of items on their piece of paper. They always put something up. And, uh, and they want to find somebody that, in a sense, is uh, wonderful in every way and that they can aspire to be with and that would bring them up in some way. And as Christians, uh, we should be making the same kind of list. What kind of person really draws us out spiritually, etc.? Who, who really ministers to us in a significant way? And, uh, and then we should, we should ask ourselves, well, why would that person want to spend time with you? Be that person. Be the person who lives such a grace-soaked life that is so close to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, when we talk about, I talked to your pastor, and, and Pastor John said, uh, you know, he'd like to talk about, about reaching out, and I want to share a little bit about that. Some of it's going to be in Scripture, and some of it's going to be anecdote, but, uh, but uh, you know, if we are going to reach out, it really starts by living a grace-soaked life of having, knowing that Jesus Christ has truly not just tweaked your life, but he's transformed it. God is not in the job of tweaking, but he's in the job of transforming. We don't see Jesus coming along and meeting somebody and say, hey, why don't you just try a little bit of this and, and, and over time see if it helps. He doesn't do that. That's uh, psychobabble stuff. 
You know, what Jesus comes is he addresses people about their sin, about serious issues in their life, about their need for forgiveness, uh, restoring their sight, restoring their hearing, whatever it is. He's in the business of transformation, not tweaking. And the only people who can participate with him in the life of transformation are people that are truly transformed and living a transformed life. So every morning when you get up, uh, you need to, to get your marching orders from the Lord. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised, uh, my dad was an alcoholic and it was a dysfunctional home and parents were constantly on the verge of separating and getting back together and all that kind of thing. And uh, I remember my dad came home one night in extreme, uh, you know, he was was one of those uh, alcoholics that, you know, you never know how he's going to come home. He'd either be really happy and give me a hundred bucks and say, I love you, son, and get drool all over me or else he'd get really abusive and one thing or another. And he came home in one of the, the bad moods uh, one night, and it was a real tough night. And so at about 4 o'clock in the morning when I was 16 years old, at the beginning of my junior year of high school, I just said, I've had it with this. And I left and left for good and moved to a town about 100 miles away. Was, did not know anything about God, didn't know anything about, had never been to a church really per se. I think we went a little bit when I was a kid. My only recollection of church my mom went to a church one time. It was a Presbyterian church. And all I remember is I went to the movies the night before and bought a great big box of the Junior Mints. You ever seen those? And I was sitting right next to a radiator that was just cranking out the stuff. And I'd been eating Junior Mints. And I got sick with those. I threw them up all over in the pew ahead of me. So that's all I remember about church. I don't remember anything about God or anything else. But I do remember Junior Mints and puking. But, but when I... <laughs> that's right. But when I went to, uh, when I ran away from home and I ended up moving to another town, I lived uh, different places with different people. And at one point in time, I moved in with a guy and uh, a few guys, there were three of us, four or four of us, excuse me, three other guys. And one of the guys would get up every morning and he would have coffee and he always had this black book with him. And uh, now I have one of those black books. Actually, I have about 13 or 14 of them. People keep giving them to me like I need a Bible. But, uh, you know, I like coffee and, uh, and I like to read. And so uh, here's this guy that was reading something. He was drinking coffee. I said, and he was always smiling. I was happy and about things. And I asked him what he was reading. And he told me he was reading the Bible. So I had coffee and I sat down with him and he told me the message of salvation. Um, I didn't respond right then. I responded later when I met a girl, cutest girl in the school. And uh, she was just a sweetheart. But her dad said, uh, you can't date anybody unless they go to church with you. So I went to church with her. And I forgot about the girl, <laughs> but I got saved. I gave my life to the Lord. And the Lord didn't just uh, tweak me. He transformed me. I went forward, and a guy told me I, I didn't know what to do. And the fellow that prayed with me said, uh, well, you need to confess your sin to the Lord and receive him. So I just started listening to him. After about three or four minutes, the guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, we'll be here all day at this rate. He said, you can just put them all together and give them to God, and he'll just forgive the whole batch. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I just said, I just said, I've really screwed up and uh, I need something. And, and I can't tell you what the Lord did in my heart in that moment. But whatever it was that he did, he put a light there where there was darkness. He brought life where there was death. And I uh, understood what it was to be found instead of lost. And, uh, and from that point until this, I have said, I never had aspirations to be a bishop or a superintendent or a cardinal or a blue jay or whatever, you know, <laughs> or a pastor or a youth pastor or anything else. Uh, I just know that God had done something tremendous in my life, and it was my desire to then live for Him and serve Him. 
In Matthew chapter six, 5, excuse me, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That's an interesting verse. It's an invitation of Jesus. It's an invitation because apparently you can suppress it if you want. Uh, I read this stuff in Greek, and in the Greek, this is called a jussive word. A jussive is participatory. In other words, it's a voluntary thing when he says, let your light shine. He's not commanding, uh, make your light shine. He's just saying, what I want you to do is take that which is inside, and it's up to you whether you're going to let it shine or whether you're going to hide it. And he even mentions it in the context don't take a light. Who, who takes a light and hides it under a bowl or puts it under their bed somewhere? No, instead, you want to willfully put it in a place where people can see that if the Lord is living a transformed life in you, then, uh, then let that shine and talk to people in an intensely personal way. Because people, we're living in a very impersonal world. And you don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be highly adept to share your faith in a deep and meaningful way. You just have to feel like the Lord has called you to share honestly, sincerely, the things that God has done in your life, if you would do that. I want you to open your Bibles and turn in them to John chapter 4. We're going to look here at a time when Jesus actually met somebody. Um, There was a woman that came out to him from a town, and he was tired, he was thirsty at the time. And when he met her, he ended up uh, talking to her, carrying on a conversation. Um... And it tells us in chapter 4, verse 7 of John, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, and remember, he was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty. He actually sent his disciples away to get something to eat. So they're all gone. It's just him alone with this uh, woman who came out to draw the water. And, of course, in that day, it was the women who drew the water, not the men. And the men would only be at the well uh, if they were feeding their stock. And if they had their stock there, the women all had to wait because uh, the stock were more important than whatever the women were doing. That's where they fit in that particular society. Well, this wasn't just a woman. It was a Samaritan woman. And Jews typically didn't talk to the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. If you know anything about the, the history, uh, they were kind of mulattoes. They, the, uh, the northern ten tribes had been dispersed among the Assyrians. Uh, years before, about 750 years prior to this. And then when they came back and resettled, they were this amalgam of Israelites and Assyrian or Akkadian influence. And uh, they're the, therefore, the Jews looked down on them because they really didn't have, uh, have kind of a pure-blooded type of thing. And by the way, when you travel around the world, that's what you experience as well. I, I uh, just got back from India, and we're heading to Nepal this coming Thursday. And you'll find every place you go, when there's kind of a, a person that's uh, half of this and half of that, particularly if the half of that is not a good group of people that we respect very much, then, uh, then sometimes they get it worse than anyone else. If a person uh, just came back from India, if their uh, parents are split between Pakistan and India, uh, they're not treated any better than the Pakistanis are regarded by the Indians over there. And it is that way everywhere. This is a Samaritan woman. She comes. So she's got two uh, demerits against her, I guess, in the society. And that is, A, she's a woman. B, she's a Samaritan. She came. And Jesus addressed her. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. 
You know, let me stop right there. One of the things, the big errors that people make when they think in terms of sharing their faith, Jesus brings out here, and that is, first thing is we have to be intensely personal. We're not hitting people with something. We're just sharing our life. John Fisher said in a song years ago, I'm not an egotist telling you everything you should do. I'm only a hungry beggar, beggar showing you where I found food. And we need to understand that one of the predominant things that we do when we share our faith is we're just interested in that person. They're not a, a mark or a target to share Christ with. We just know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And I guarantee you, if you take a personal approach, as Jesus did to this woman who came to him, take time to talk to somebody, open up a conversation, it will always lead itself to something more important if we're willing to go there. You, know, you don't have to be an expert in, uh, in sharing uh, in the Bible or sharing your faith. You don't have to be an expert just need to be able to get beyond the surface level that most people like to stay at. And you can do that very quickly. I've had the privilege of leading lots and lots and lots and lots of people to faith in Jesus Christ through the years. And uh, I've had pastored several churches, and they've all grown. There have been hundreds of people that come to know the Lord in each setting. And it's a wonderful thing. It's the thing that energizes me most. But most of those conversations take place in just a single visit where I'm able to stand with a person at a gas pump. And uh, did you know 9 out of 10 people you say... And when you ask them how they're doing, and they say, oh, miserable, because, you know, about 60% of the people will tell you they're not doing well if they're really serious about things. Uh, otherwise, they just pass you off and say, fine, you know. But uh, when you really plummet into it, about 60% of the people will say, well, things aren't all that good, and they'll share some things in their life. And 90% of the people I've found, if you ask, can I pray for you about that? You know, don't pray. Don't just pray for people. Pray with people and just say, can I pray with you right now about that? And... Uh, and uh, 9 out of 10 will say, yeah, I'd love that. And I've had the privilege of praying with people to receive Christ at a pump, in line, at uh, a Walmart, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, the bank teller across the, uh, across the deal. You know, when, you, when people open up a door and invite you in by sharing difficulties in their life, do you know the answer? The answer is Jesus Christ. You don't have to know a whole lot else. You just have to know where you found food to be able to share with someone the personal transforming message of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus opens up a, a very simple conversation with the woman in a very personal way. She's amazed that he's talking to her. And he then moves to the second part of that is, and it's not only she's amazed that he it takes a personal approach to her. And, th and that's a wonderful thing. But then the second thing is, Jesus' manner was always personal, but his method was always direct. Do you notice how he doesn't beat around the bush? His manner is always personal. Jesus is always personal with people. He never holds people off or carries on kind of light banter very long, you know. Uh, people are attracted to him. Luke chapter 15, it tells a story about a lost son, a lost coin, and a lost sheep. You ever read that passage? First one is a fascinating verse. Because if you read it in Greek, it literally says, and the tax collectors and sinners were constantly gathering around him. I mean, literally, the word there is they were constantly coming to him. There was a stream of people because Jesus was so personal with them. But because he was personal and had the ability to be intimate with them, then he could be direct. If you're not very personal, don't be direct. Then you, all you are is you're a frying pan evangelist. You're just hitting people over the head with the gospel. If you're not going to be personal, don't be direct. But if you are willing to be personal and intimate with somebody and share your life and share your faith in some significant way, tell them what God has done in your light. Let your light so shine before them that they might see uh, your good deeds and glorify the Lord in heaven. If you're willing to be personal, then you can also be very direct. 
Did you notice how Jesus here, he just says, you know, if you would have known who was talking to you, just ask me and I'd give you something to drink. And it would uh, well up, he says later, to eternal life. Isn't that kind of fascinating? He just kind of cuts right to the chase. He'll talk more about some of the personal things in her life later, about how many times she was married and the person she's living with now is not her husband. You know, we'll get into some of the intimate details with her later. But right now, he's just very direct because he was willing to be personal. And if, if people know that you love them and you're interested in them as people, not as targets, not as marks, then you can be very direct and you can be very personal and say, tell me what's going on in your spiritual life. I ask people frequently, you know, uh, when I ask them, sometimes people will talk 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, our son died, went to be with the Lord. Now he's a full-time worshiper of God. We're grateful for that. Uh, he's, uh, he's been a servant all of his life here. And the Lord has given us some marvelous dreams and, and, uh, and remembrances of, of who he is. His siblings are great. All my kids really love the Lord. Our grandkids are delightful. We have four kids and four grandkids, and, and it's great to be around them. But uh, one of the things that uh, stands out, I guess, in, in our son, when he passed away, he was intensely personal, as I said, and he would be direct. He was a youth pastor, and he would just start telling, asking the kids, you know, what's, what's wrong? And uh, he would ply a little bit after he asked the questions. And, uh, and, and it didn't take him very long to be able to get to the heart of the matter with many people. I ask folks frequently, tell me about your spiritual life. And nine times out of ten, what will people say? Well, I went to church when I was a kid or, you know, something like that. They always talk, talk about their church life. I was a Catholic. I was a Baptist or whatever. I'd say, you know, you can be born in a barn. That doesn't make you a cow. Uh, you know, you can be raised in church. That doesn't make you a Christian. I said, I, I, I want to restate my... Do you ever think about things bigger than what you can see? Tell me about your spiritual life. Are there any thoughts about heaven or hell, about what's, what's important to you? Uh, you ever think about Jesus Christ? Uh, do you know anything about him? I sat on an airplane not too long ago, carried on a conversation uh, like that with this lady and the lady sitting next to me. It was fascinating because she just looked at me. She said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. She says, I've never met one. <laughs> well, you have now. But there are people that just don't know anything about it. And so you have the opportunity to, if once you are personal, Jesus' manner was personal. His method was direct. And, uh, and you can be that way. So if you're writing things down, make sure that your manner is personal. If you're writing things down, make sure that your method is direct. You know, don't, don't build bridges with people. I hear people say that all the time. They're just going to go forever. But you are who you are. And if you are deeply a disciple of Christ, then very early in your relationship with other people, they need to know that. They need to know that you... That, that God has done something transforming in your life, significant in your life, so that you can share with them. And then uh, let's read on here in this story in John chapter 4. Uh, Sir, verse 11, it says, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So now she's asking questions back. And uh, he was very direct with her. He was very personal with her. And now she's asking questions. And so he plummets the matter a little deeper. She asks, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, and then, of course, that just begs the response. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming here to draw water. 
So then he, he, uh, he talks to her about uh, his message was transforming. Jesus' m- manner was very personal. And we have to be personal people. We live in a very impersonal world. We have to also not just be uh, personal, but we have to be direct. Our message should be direct. And our message needs to be transforming. It's not just about little stuff. It's not about, again, like I said, tweaking. It's about transformation. I'm going to give you some water, and it really is going to make a difference. Here's what problem many Christians have when they share their faith. They're almost apologetic. Well, give your life to Jesus, and, you know, and he'll help you out in some ways. And this, that, and this. No, 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 no. He'll make you new. He'll erase the things that are broken if you're really willing to give your life to him. There are some that are listening to me and never experienced what I'm saying. I'm, I'm convinced of that. But God can make, make a difference in everything. He will make it different. And so, of course, uh, she wants that kind of difference. And people want something that is transforming. Uh, most people, you know, I tell people all the time, hey, if you want to just kind of fix things a little bit, patch things up, go, go watch Dr. Phil or, you know, or Oprah or something. You know, they'll help you stumble and bumble along and, you know, maybe patch up a thing here or there, give you some helpful hints on how to build relationships or how to destroy them or something. (laughs) But what you need to do is understand that if God is in charge, if you really believe that the Holy Spirit can uh, intercede on your behalf when you speak your words, then you don't have to worry so much about uh, all the things that you share because the message that you give needs to be one of transformation, that God will make things new. He'll take things that are broken. He'll take that which is lost and He'll save it. He'll find it. He'll take that which is dead and He'll make it live again. He'll take that which is dark and He'll bring light to it. But we need to be able to do that. And of course then Jesus goes on and talks to the woman more and she gets shy when she starts talking about uh, her own life and tries to change the subject to uh, religion, you know, after she says, well, you know, I have no husband, and then Jesus finds her out and says, yeah, of course you don't because you've been married X number of times. Tells her a lot about her life, scares the bejeebers out of her, so she just, uh, she just ends up saying, you know, hey, how about them cowboys? <laughs> you know, that's her version of it. Hey, you're talking about religion? Let's get back to religion. We worship on Mount Gerizim, and you guys worship in Jerusalem, etc. And she tries to detract the conversation, distract it to something else, but Jesus comes back to the point. Ladies and gentlemen, it's extremely important that we're committed to be people that live grace-soaked lives and then let that spill over. To let our light shine significantly before people that people might see God's glory and, and there would be great evidence of that. You know, I, we, we were pastoring a church. Things were thriving. They were going really well. Um, in, uh, in Spokane, Washington. That's where we live now. We actually went and became missionaries. The Lord called us, gave Marlene and I the same dream, same night about being missionaries in the Philippines. I was called uh, that very next week and, uh, and was, uh, was asked to be if I'd ever considered being a missionary. The Free Methodist Church needed a missionary in the Philippines. Isn't that kind of the way the Lord works? And I thought, that makes no sense whatsoever. Because uh, I have no desire, A, to do it, and B, I don't feel very qualified to do it, C, everything is working here. And, uh, you know, why fix that which is broken? But out of obedience to the Lord, we went ahead and went. Well, I didn't know anything about uh, the language or the culture, 
And uh, we got there. Of course, I was trying to learn the language as much as I could. I was making mistakes all the time. You know, first time I preached the full message in, in Tagalog, I ended up trying to end it with uh, telling people they needed to invite their Jesus into their heart. But uh, the word puso is heart. The word pusa is cat. So <laughs> I said, Imbidahin niño si Jesus salobang inyong pusa. You need to invite Jesus into your cat. And... Uh, <laughs> And the altar was full. <laughs> I prayed with people. This one lady, tears streaming down her eyes. She said, you know, thank you so much. I just needed the Lord in my life. And she got a smile on her face. And she said, my cat needs to be saved too. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> my cat needs Jesus. But you know, I stumbled and bumbled. I made so many language mistakes there. I made mistakes all the time. But uh, this one time, I was, uh, I was supposed to go to another island, or another place. It's not another island, actually, uh, the base of uh, the island of Luzon. And we lived in the Manila area. And I was the superintendent of a conference of about 25 churches. And uh, one of those was a church plant we'd started down in a small fishing village. And uh, they had started another church in a neighboring fishing village. So the pastor was excited and said, could you please come and share uh, stuff with the people here? Because there aren't very many Christians. Most of them are animists. You know, they're spiritists. They're into the mankukulam, which is the word for the witch doctor. You know, the, the evil spirit stuff. And down here in this particular area. And they haven't seen a white face in years because there haven't been any Peace Corps workers or anybody here for over 20 years. So you'll draw a crowd for sure, being a tall white guy. And they said, uh, would you come down and, and do some, hold some service? I said, sure. So uh, at that time, there was a group called the NPA, New People's Army, that was uh, creating instability, some coup attempts in the government. And they were uh, um, their way, main way they funded their effort was to kidnap foreigners and hold them for ransom. You ever hear that before? Yeah. yeah. The cool thing in the Free Methodist Church is uh, we sign a thing before we become missionaries that no ransom will be paid for us. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wonderful little deal. <laughs> I found out later almost all organizations do that because the moment uh, a, a group does pay, then every one of the missionaries around the world in that particular organization are jeopardized because they're people that pay. So I understand it logically. But uh, we f- I flew down into this area at a time when it was a uh, was highly intense uh, incursion by the NPA. But I flew to uh, Legaspi City, and I was going to take a bus out to this smaller a uh, town named Gubat, which uh, that word means jungle, which literally tells you how far we out we were. Then I was going to take this jeepney, this smaller vehicle, about another 9 or 10 kilometers out to the ocean to this uh, fishing village, Prita Diaz. And so as I flew into Legaspi, and I'm on the bus, and I'm going down, all of a sudden there are these coconut trees that are cut across the road, and these guys in their battle fatigues with their semi-automatic and automatic weapons, and they're standing in front of the rig, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> And I was supposed to get down there, and, and, I, and so uh, the guy got on. He looked at me, and he said, this is my lucky day. And he told me to get off the bus. He told me to get on the truck, and I got talking to him. And I don't know. I just kind of verbal diarrhea was coming out of my mouth. I don't know. I just said, hi. I go see Matt Thomas. My name is Matt Thomas. What is your name? And so he told me his name, his last name. He just kind of said it in passing. And, uh, but he told me, get on the truck. And I said, ah, Delfinado was his last name. And I said, I know many Delfinados. And, uh, and he said, which is, there are many of us. He said, get on the truck. He's just trying to pass me off. And, and I just looked at him again. And I said, well, maybe you know some of them. They're in our church that I'm pastoring up in uh, 
in Manila. And there are three young ladies. Their names are Luis, Lilian, and Lagaya. And he looked at me and he said, Anong pangalan ng tatay nila? What's their father's name? And so I said, their father's name is Ruben. What's their mother's name? Mentioned their mother because she had actually been at church. And we'd help pay to have uh, surgery done for his, for his uh, Ruben, this, this older man. He looked at me and he said, Pinsan Buoko, they're my first cousins. I said, oh, good. Well, then we'll have a picture taken together. You can write a little note. I'll take it back. I'll tell him you're doing fine. I'll just tell him you're doing really well. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said, no picture, but you can go. You know, and I thought, great, the bus is gone. You know, he said, no problem. So they stood with their guns out in the next bus that came by. He uh, aimed the gun at the head of the driver, said, you're taking him to Gubat. So, okay. So, uh I made it to Gubat. I was, I was fortunately not held for ransom, which was a good thing. I got off, and I'm looking for Venice, the Nina. And uh, Venice wasn't there, and uh, her husband wasn't there. The pastor, I found out, had uh, gone to another island because fa- her father had died. And as a result, uh, they had to leave. There was no Western Union, no telephones, so they couldn't contact me. So they were gone, and I thought, great, what am I going to do? So I'm standing there, and uh, this little lady comes up. She's the one that told me about it. And no teeth on the top of her head. Little Filipina lady, probably 70 years old, came up, and she asked me if I was uh, Pastor Matt. I said, yes, I am. Get on the jeepney. I'll tell you the story. She told me what had happened as we were going along. Well, it was the last jeepney of the day, and those things were made to hold about 15 people. Where well, more and more people were getting on because it was the last one. They were climbing up on top. And they were standing in the sides. And this one lady got in, and she sat on this knee. Without asking any questions, she just sat down. It was full. <laughs> Little boy got on. He sat on this knee. No questions. A man got on. He put a sack of rice right between my legs. So I'm sitting there kind of hunched over with a guy's feet in my back that's holding on from the window. And now there are people that are sitting on the hood. Well, there were over 50 people on this vehicle. I'm surprised the axle was still uh, working on the thing. And we got about two kilometers from, the, from this little village. And there was a guy standing by the road. And he had a baby goat. And he had a baby baby. And, uh, and uh, he's holding them. And by that time, the only way you could get on this uh, vehicle was what they call uh, to, uh, so to grab onto the back and, uh, and hold on. Well, he had no arms to do that. He's holding these two things. And nobody was doing anything. And the driver, not like, uh, you know, hurry up, hurry up. And he wasn't doing anything, so I reached out to grab the baby. I thought, somebody's got to help this guy, you know. So with Christian love, I reached out my hands, and he gave me the goat. <laughs> the I, I pulled the goat in, and I'm holding the goat. And I don't know if the goat was scared, or if he'd never seen a big white guy before, or what. But he just went to the bathroom all over me. And the guy moved his rice, and the lady moved, and the kid moved. And I'm sitting here with this goat urine on me, holding this goat. And uh, I'm looking at my watch. I thought, you know, what am I going to do? We got this meeting starting tonight. I've never met these people. The pastor's not here. And uh, we got there. And I found out, you know, I was nervous then because I don't speak Bicolano. I speak Tagalog. I don't speak their language. And uh, so I got there. I said, who's going to interpret for me? And they said, well, we don't have anybody that speaks. Very few people speak English. And a few more speak Tagalog, but none of us, we're too shy to interpret. So just speak in Tagalog. Most of the people take it through the sixth grade and, and they'll know it, etc. So I said, okay, I've got to clean up though. I've got goat urine all over me. Uh, do you have a shower? Well, there's no showers in a village like that. They kind of just 
bucket uh, do their thing. And uh, so I said, uh, you know, get me a bucket. And is there any place I can go that's private? And they took a piece of black visqueen and wrapped it in between some trees, some banana trees there. And so uh, I went in behind there and had the bucket, got completely stripped down with my other clothes set over here. Well, apparently some children had seen there's a big white guy. So they went and got all the children in the village. And they all came. And they're... <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing to say the least. You know, I was the road show. So anyway, I want to speed this story along. So I finally I said, well, how am I going to preach tonight? I'm supposed to preach. That was the idea. They said, just uh, preach in Tagalog. And then at, uh, if, you, if they don't understand something, we'll get up and we'll translate for you. This one guy said that he'd sit right in the front. So I'm preaching along. And I decided to tell an illustration about, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, where it talks about we're hard, not hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. You know, we're persecuted, but not in despair. And I talked about the fact to a lot of these non-Christian people. I said, look, um, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he will transform your life. He'll make everything different. And uh, you have to just trust in him. You may not look any different from one another, but when Christ is in you, you are different. And I used an illustration. I said, The Christian life is like an egg. And uh, if you've ever done this experiment, we do it when we're kids. You can take an egg. looks the same. But you can turn it sideways, put very little pressure. And have you ever seen what happens with an egg sideways? It just crushes real easily. Have you ever done this? We used to do it in school. It was a little science experiment. And then you take it and push it lengthwise and put the same, put heavy pressure on it and it doesn't crush. I thought this was a really good illustration. And I said, the life, when your life is in, without Christ, Satan can crush you very easily. There's nothing sustaining you. There's no strength in your life. But you're like that egg that's turned lengthwise. Satan could put all the pressure he wants on you, but if Christ is in you, he will never be able to crush you. Amen? Amen. I thought it was a great illustration. The people were yik-yakking back and forth. <laughs> Apparently, there was some confusion. So the guy just stood up and he said, uh, let me do it. So he gets up and he starts speaking in a language I don't understand. And everybody's going, oh, oh, they were high-fiving. <laughs> they were laughing. They were going on and on and on. And I gave an altar call that night. And lots of people got saved. It was wonderful. Prayed with people for several hours. And afterwards, we were having our, you know, cut off a banana leaf. They're no, they don't eat with plates. They eat kamai in their hands and, and on a banana leaf. And there's rice and there's fish, raw fish and cooked fish and things like that that are there. And we're eating. And I, I looked at the guy and I said, Shagapala, which is, by the way, what did I say a while ago that uh, you interpreted for? Oh, he, and they all start laughing. <laughs> and said, it was really funny. He said, there's a word difference. Eat log in Tagalog is an egg. Here it's a testicle. So, so I started replaying the, the story. And I, and, I, and I remember just going into elaborate detail of saying, here's an experiment. You can try it when you go home if you'd like. And you, you can take it sideways. It's just easy. Lengthwise, just hard. And I'm replaying it in my mind, and I'm getting pretty angry at this guy. So I looked at him, and I said, why didn't you interrupt? I'm asking him in Tagalog. You know, he doesn't speak English. Why didn't you interrupt me earlier? And he's just tears streaming. He said, it was so funny. <laughs> and, and I went back down, and I laid down that night, and I said, what a mess up. Man, I just remember thinking, what a mess up. I mean, I got stopped. Could have potentially been kidnapped. Uh, I finally made it to the place. The pastor's not there. 
You know, I had a goat urinate all over me. This is all in one day. You know, I had kids staring at me as I'm trying to take a shower. And then I make a gaffe that just was totally embarrassing and humiliating for me. And as I laid there praying, you know, and I was thinking, man, this has just been a tough day. You know? (laughs) The Lord reminded me that it's not on the basis of our sufficiency. And he reminded me that there are more people that gave their lives to Jesus Christ that night than in the entire time I'd been in the Philippines. You see, if you're reluctant to share your faith because you don't know enough Bible, because you are a little shy, a little timid, I'll tell you, if you live a grace-soaked life, and if you're willing to be personal, if your method and manner is personal with people, if you're willing then to be direct and ask them some pointed questions about their life and be willing to share something about your life. Expect God to do transforming work. Just expect it. But it's not going to happen if we just back off and we don't approach people in some way. Because if he could, in that way, in a place where I didn't know the language, uh, everything was going wrong, everything was kind of haphazard, if we can't do it then, I mean, if, if we can see the Lord work in those kinds of circumstances, we can certainly see the Lord work in our lives in some significant way. I've overpreached my time here, overshared with you, but Jesus draw, drew sinners to him. And be a person who attracts people to you and then be willing to share. God is doing great things in the church around the world. If I had time, I would share with you about some of the things that are going on in India and China. It just would blow your mind. We have more than 10,000 churches in China where it's illegal to have churches. They're all underground. I just met with persecuted uh, widows. Uh, one widow, uh, Marlene and I were in India, and there's, there, they were sharing their testimonies. And one uh, widow, her husband had been soaked in kerosene because he's a Christian, and he was burned to death right in front of her and the kids. There was another one who had his head cut off right in the town square with his kids uh, present and his wife. Another one was drowned in a river. The one who had his head cut off was told to renounce Christ and and he testified to the group. He said, he used to be a Hindu priest, by the way. He was killed by Hindus. But he said, I lived in dar- that darkness. I'll never go back to that darkness. If you want to send me into greater light by sending me to heaven, that's, that's, that's up to you. But there are people that are literally living their faith right out there in ways that make a difference in life and death. And we should really do no less. 